At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Amen. You may be seated. So great to be with you today, worshiping our God. So great to listen to your voices. We are in Matthew, Matthew 24, if you want to go there. Uh, As you're turning there, uh, could I just invite you to join the safety team? We are looking for men and women who love the Lord, who love the church, and who are willing to come and just help uh, this be a a place where... um, Things are orderly, things are safe, and so we are not looking for Captain America or Black Widow, just for people who love God and are willing to just, you know, have their eyes and ears ready to, uh, to serve and to make sure that everything is going well uh, during the services. And so if, um, if you want to help and they'll, they'll train you, uh, you can just go to roinfo at woodsidebible.org. We need you. We're down to uh, very few um, volunteers for that team. So... Please consider it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, what a great day to worship a great God. Lord, I pray for your people who might be discouraged or distracted. I pray for those who might be living in sin and away from you. I pray for the weary, for the weak. I pray for the proud. Lord, what we all need is more of you. And so grow our affection for you. Clarify our sight. Increase our faith. We ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew 24, verse 35. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The word of the Lord. So we are between series. So this is a one-off sermon, and it'll be a little bit different from the ones that I usually do. I always preach on one passage of scripture, and I do my best to stay locked in that passage, mining it for gold as much as 30 minutes will allow. Today we're doing something slightly different. We're going to read many passages of scripture, but still making one overall point. And the point is this, great faith honors a great God. There's nothing more fulfilling to a pastor than seeing in his people radical transformation, what I call Christ formation. You know, it's, I, and I've seen that exactly that in so many of you. You know, your approach to God, your worldview, your values have been turned upside down so that black turns to white and white black. It's as if you had been living in a dream your whole life, including your Christian life. But then you came alive, you came awake to Christ. And of you, Ephesians 5.14 has come true. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. You know, let's listen to this testimony from someone who came awake to Christ just in the last year as they came into our church family. They write, my whole life I've been a rule follower. As a teenager, I said no to sex, drugs, alcohol, and all the other big bad sins I was too scared to commit for fear of disobeying God. For years, I understood God as a taskmaster in the sky, only interested in in my life's report card. In my misunderstanding of God, I put up walls around my heart and resolved to continue being good enough to avoid hell without needing him to be involved in my life. 
Now after 23 years of empty obedience, everything is changing. Daniel 10:12 says, From the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. This is my story now. Over the past year, God in his loving kindness toward me has revealed my pride that pushed him away and the idols I've used to replace him. Since the moment I humbled myself before him, releasing my control and admitting my brokenness, he has come. He's filled my emptiness and set me on a journey of repentance and healing. And he's loving me like I could never deserve. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I read that and I go, yes, my God, one more for your kingdom. One more taken from the realm of darkness. Do it again, God. Do it times a thousand, a thousand times a thousand. And so while many of you have come uh, in and you have died to yourselves and come awake to Christ, others of you have simply come in and added Jesus Christ to your already busy lives so that you haven't rejected Jesus, but neither have you rejected your old ways. You know, you like what you hear, but it's as if you were in a dream. And you know how dreams are. Nothing is clear, crisp. Nothing is white or black. Everything is confusing. Everything is frustrating. And you can't get anywhere. And that's how some of you are living. And so you end up in this twilight zone where Jesus is neither friend nor foe. Where he's not your all, but neither is he of no importance to you. Maybe you come once in a while, once a month, if all the other things in your life work out and they don't conflict with this Sunday time slot. It's kind of how I do the gym. At least how I used to do it when they were open, you know? I was, um, I think they're opening again, which is a good thing. But you know, I was never a gym Nazi, you know, and I have the body to prove it. But neither was I willing to cancel my membership. You know, I kind of lived in the middle, closer to canceling, you know, but where I would make it in if and only if other more important things in my life did not conflict with it. That's how some of you approach Christ. You do more than Christmas and Easter. But can you honestly say that you love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? You see, the problem with this approach to Jesus is that he is all or nothing. He will not take our crumbs. If he's not our king, he's not our friend. Do you hear that? If Jesus is not your king, he's not your friend. John 15, 14, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. And so if that's you, you're living in a dream. And my hope with this sermon and all the others is that God will wake you up, that you will come alive in Christ because great faith honors a great God. So what we're going to do today is we're going to read a number of passages of Scripture so that, you can, uh, so that we can see some things that God does, some things that Jesus says, and some things that the church gives witness to. And as we look at these things, we're simply going to answer one question. Does my faith, does our faith reflect this God, this Jesus, this church? Or have I simply been drinking from the broken cisterns of this age that hold no water? So here we go. First, some things God does. I invite you to turn to number 16. And by the way, we're going to be in Numbers Matthew and Acts. And if you don't have a Bible or a device, I invite you to get one. There are some in the lobby because we're going to read a lot. We're in number 16. 
Recently, a few of us from our, from our life group read the entire Bible in three months. Actually, it took me 100 days. It was supposed to be 90 days, but I was not going to make it. And 100 is a nice round number. So I was like, oh, let's just do it in 100 days. You know, I needed some grace. But we were, we were digesting this thing at a pretty fast clip. Actually, we were inhaling it, right? I mean, we were not digesting everything. But as we were reading just chunks of scripture, and there were different passages that I read, some of whom, which were, we will be reading today, I kept having this thought, the God of the Bible is incredible. It's hard to believe what you read. In fact, some have read it and concluded this is absurd. And I think that the things out there that people say in our culture, the overt or the subtle attacks on scripture do have an impact on us. They wear us down. They make us embarrassed about the God of the Bible. They tame our faith. And that's how we end up, many of us, in this twilight zone where Jesus is not our all, but neither are we willing to fully say no more. Here's the thing, a sleepy, tame faith dishonors our God. Great faith honors a great God. Number 16, verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Okay, so Israel's in the desert. They've left Egypt. They're on the way to the land of promise, and things are not going well. The present generation will not make it into the promised land because they did not believe. They did not believe that God could give it to them when he told them, go take it. And so God says, you will die in the desert. Your children will go in. Well, soon after that event of unbelief, Korah, who was one of the leaders of Israel, incites a number of others, 250 other well-known men. And they go and they rebel against Moses and Aaron. They have issues particularly with Aaron, with the priesthood, and with Moses' leadership over Israel. Now remember that all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests, only the family of Aaron. So Korah and his followers go to Moses and Aaron and they say, hey, you've gone too far. All of us are holy. So why do you exalt yourselves to these places of leadership and to take over the priesthood? Now, Korah and his followers were targeting Moses and Aaron, God's servants. But they were really rebelling against God. Because God was the one that had appointed Moses and had appointed Aaron to the priesthood. And so Moses says, you know, he responds the way he often did. You know, he was brokenhearted and he says to them, Korah, you and your men, you have a quarrel with God. And so let God settle it. And settle it, God did. Look at verse 25. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram. And the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men. And touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. 
And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die, as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their gods, their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. Okay, this is a sobering text. Only the Lord has the authority to establish the leadership over his people. To establish who will be in the priesthood. Rebellion and division are not to be taken lightly. But where I want you to focus your attention today is simply on this. Just the fact that God did this. God did this. I mean, the whole assembly of Israel is there, thousands upon thousands, and the ground splits open, and Korah and all that belong to him go in. The earth covers them, and then God sends fire over the 250 chiefs that had followed Korah in his rebellion. You see, Moses said, listen, God chose us to this task. If you men die the way that, in a natural kind of way, then God has not spoken through us. But if God creates something new and the earth opens up and it swallows them up, then you will know that you have despised, these men have despised the Lord. This is the God of the Bible. These are the kinds of things that God does. And the thing that I just want you to ask yourself is simply, does your faith match this God? Well, God deals with the rebels, but then he reaffirms Aaron to the priesthood. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and get from them staffs, one for each father's house. From all their chiefs, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. Write each man's name on his staff, and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will make to seize from me the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against you. Do you see? They were grumbling against Moses, but God says they're grumbling against me. He took it personally. Verse 6, Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and all their chiefs gave him staffs, one for each chief, according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. And the staff of Aaron was among their staffs. And Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. On the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from before the Lord to all the people of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his staff. And the Lord said to Moses, put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels that you may make an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. 
Thus did Moses, as the Lord commanded him, so he did. And the people of Israel said to Moses, Behold, we perish, we are undone, we are all undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Are we all to perish? So God deals with the rebels, but then he reaffirms that Aaron is the one that he chose to the priesthood. But this is incredible. This is unbelievable. Overnight, Aaron's staff sprouted and it put forth buds and it produced blossoms and it bore ripe almonds. That was God's way of saying, this tribe, this family, this man, Aaron, he's the one I've chosen to the priesthood. Stop grumbling. Now, I know people ask, well, why doesn't God do things like this today? Well, first of all, how do you know? How do you know what God is or isn't doing among seven plus billion people on the planet? But the deeper answer is that God has given us Jesus Christ. And Jesus takes upon himself all the history of Old Testament Israel. And he brings it to culmination. He brings it to fulfillment as he gathers the people of God from every corner of the world. So that if you, listen to me, if you are in Christ, if you come awake to Christ like we read about that person in the beginning, then you are witnessing the greatest miracle you will ever see. Do you think that a staff, a piece of wood sprouting almonds overnight is more mind-blowing than a selfish, hateful human heart becoming generous and forgiving? No way! If you think that your, your heart has not been transformed by the radical love of Christ, because there's no way that if you know if you know the darkness of your own heart, how it's so prone to turn against people, to rant online, to get away from God, and yet God brings you back to himself. He draws you near. He makes you aware of his love and he melts your heart. There's no way that if you've experienced that, you're gonna think there's anything bigger for you to see. It's mind-blowing when God-haters, which is all of us, turn into Jesus-lovers. But I just want you to think about this, to think about these events. And we just read two passages. There are hundreds of these um, passages in Scripture. And I just want you to ask yourself, does my faith reflect this God? The kinds of things that this God does. Next, let's look at some things Jesus says. We're in Matthew now. Remember, Numbers, Matthew, then Acts. We're in Matthew 24. We could have, if we had time, we could just look at passage after passage after passage of what God does that is mind-blowing, that should make you go, no way! No way did he do that! What? I mean, we kept reading, and I'm raining myself. We were reading for three months, 100 days. And, um, and we would just come to passages like this, and we would be like, this is incredible. This is amazing. We would have to pause sometimes and just reflect because it's amazing. Let's look at something that Jesus says. Again, we could look at hundreds of things he said. We'll look at one. Matthew 24, verse 35. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I want you to think about those words for a second. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's about to be arrested and killed. He's predicting the events that will lead to the destruction of the temple some 40 years after his resurrection. 
And then he's going to give a word of warning about the time of his return. Now, side note here, next year we're going to do a full series in Matthew 24 and 25 about the end times, which would be very instructive for us. But just right now, I want you to look at this one verse. Verse 35, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Just think about that. To think that the current, the present heaven and the present earth will give way to a new heaven and a new earth as we read in the book of Revelation is insane. I mean, think of all the continents. Think of all the nations in their hubris. Think of all the mega corporations all passing away. That thought alone should put a pause on our endeavors, on our attachment to the things of this world. It's crazy. He says, you see, heavens, the earth, they will pass away. That's insane. But then he says something even more insane. He says, heaven and earth will pass away. Okay, but my words will never pass away. Do you hear this? Who talks like this? Who says this kind of stuff? Who says, you see everything that's around you? It's all going to go. But my words will never go away. You will find my words standing firm, fulfilled, eternal in the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, what is that? Who talks like that? That everything he says will come to pass. Everything he affirmed about God, about himself, about the world, about humankind. Everything he denied cannot be reversed by our culture no matter how much we dislike it. We ignore it at our own peril. But the church will go on undeterred by evil. You see, the goal of the gospel is not so that all the nations of the earth will thrive. Whether America or Italy or Kenya No, the goal of the gospel is to gather all the people of God globally from every nation while every nation, including America, Italy, and Kenya, rages against God's anointed one. This is what Psalm 2 prophesies and declares. Go back and read it. That all the nations of the world until the very end, including our own, will rage against God's anointed. And even in the midst of that work, evil work, God will take to himself all those who belong to him. But make no mistake, Jesus' words will never pass away. As a matter of fact, the Greek negation in that statement is the strongest you can make. There are different ways that you can negate in Greek as in really in any language, right? When you say no, that's not as strong as when you say never. Well, the one here is like that. You could translate it, but my words will most certainly never pass away. Which brings us back to the person we talked about in the beginning who lives in this muddled middle where Jesus is not our all, but neither are we willing to fully dispense with him. And my question to you is why? Why would you do that? Why would you think that it profits you in any way to take Jesus in as your advisor, your teacher, your guru, you you know, someone whose teachings you're happy to mix with all the other voices you believe in from our culture? Why would you do that? Why would you listen to someone who says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away? Don't you understand that unless he's God, he's insane? 
Do you routinely listen to insane people? What does that say about you? Listen, I call you today to make a choice. Either Jesus is your king, your Lord, your savior, your God, or don't give him the time of day. Either he's all of these things or don't even give him that one hour once a month when you're like, oh, I think I'll go to church today. Why would you do that? If he's not your creator, don't even give him bits, crumbs of any part of your life. You see, an insipid faith, a tame faith, dishonors the biblical God, this God that we are reading about. No, give Jesus everything or be done with colorless patches of religion in your life. Finally, some things the church gives witness to. Acts 5. So again, remember what we're doing today. And here's why, you guys. Old Testament Israel was constantly castigated by the prophets. Not because they wholesale abandoned Yahweh, their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's not what they did. You know what they did? They kept the biblical God, and they added the different gods of the nations around them. It's called syncretism. It's when you add many different gods that you worship, and we do that in our nation. We do that very thing. We say, yes, no, I believe in Jesus, but, but I also will add this and that. And no, I don't like that as much from the Bible, but, but I do like this that I'm hearing from my culture. Ooh, this, is, this seems more loving. So we end up with this pantheon of gods that we bow down to. And Jesus is one of them. And so what we're doing today is I'm simply looking at a few passages, not all of the ones we could look at, and I'm just asking us, having us ask, really? Does my faith reflect this God? This Jesus, this church, look at the church, Acts 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. No kidding. You know, people say the God of the Old Testament was angry, but the God of the New Testament is loving. Listen, folks, folks this is the New Testament. This is not Numbers or Judges or Leviticus. 
This is Jerusalem just a few years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amazing things were happening in the church. The church was exploding. There was a spirit of awe, of love, of generosity among the people of God. Many were coming and transforming their lives. Many powerful signs were being done in their midst. But just so we wouldn't forget that God does care about holiness and righteousness and that the power of God is ever present and ever free and that the church is human and sinful, Luke records this episode of Ananias and Sapphira being struck dead on the spot for lying to the Holy Spirit of God. You see, so many people think the church should be this tame place. Where people are nice and feed the hungry and onlookers from the outside say, wow, you people are so nice. Nice? You would call this nice? People are dying on the spot for lying, for perverting something that is holy. Is this the church you believe in? Is this what you, what you give your life to? That when there's a need, you're like, yes, what's the need? I want to be there. I want to meet it. Because this is what I belong to, something holy, something where God comes and he manifests that he is present, that he is in our midst. One more, Acts 20. This one's kind of, well, it's quite funny. Kind of. Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Don't you love this story? I mean, there are so many funny elements. First of all, Paul, why are you preaching until midnight? And secondly, Eutychus, why are you sitting at a window on the third story? Especially when Brother Paul just went on and on and on. And third, did you notice that after Paul brings Eutychus back to life, he goes back in and he converses with them for a long while, it says, until daybreak. Which means that when Eutychus plummeted to his death at midnight, Paul was just in point number one. I mean, nothing about that whole event deterred him. He didn't go like, geez, people are dropping off of windows. Maybe I should wrap this thing up. Uh-uh. He goes back up and he's like, anyway, as I was saying, point number two. I know we think we'd like Paul to be our preacher, but would we? Would we really? But here's the thing. These are the kinds of things that are taking place in the church that the church gives witness to. And Ananias and Sapphira struck dead on the spot. Eutychus brought back to life. 
These are the kinds of things that are going on in the church, not in the Old Testament. You see, the Bible is written in such a way. The revelation of God has been given to us in such a way that you have two options. Either you go, this is how reality is. This is who God is, or this is silly. There is no room for the middle where so many of us live where we're so busy with our lives, doing whatever it is that we're doing. And then once in a while, we're like, ooh, I really should pay more attention to God. Ooh, I really should go to church this time. I haven't been there for a while. What are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Why would you do that? There is nothing that is honoring to God about these kinds of things. You see, what I want us to ask ourselves is, does my faith reflect this God, this Jesus, this church? Great faith honors God. My concern is that our domesticated faith is such that Jesus will say to us, away from me, I never knew you. Just last night, the mother of a dear friend passed away. Great servant of the Lord. She had been battling cancer. And she's in glory now. Her suffering is over. Yes, they're grieving, but her suffering is over. She's with her Lord. She's in glory. It's done. Oh, man, don't you want that? I want to be there. I want to be with you, Lord. But here's the thing. You're going to stand before God. You will stand before God. Each one of us will stand before him. And what's he going to say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Or will he say, away from me. I never knew you, you worker of wickedness. What's he going to say? What kind of faith do we have? Is it vibrant? Is it alive? Or is it idolatrous? A number of years ago, many years ago, before my time, my wife went on an African safari. So she's seen lions in the wild and she's been warned by the african park ranger to not make any noise and to not make any movements lest the silhouette of the jeep where they were change and lions come charging at them there's hunger in their eye power in their paws i detect awe and fear in her voice as she tells this story many years later but i've also seen lions Sad, domesticated lions sleeping all day in a cage at a neglected zoo. Have you seen those? And I'm not saying they couldn't hurt me. But it's just more difficult to apply that regal name, king of the jungle, to those sorry beasts. Here's the thing. Proverbs says the righteous are bold as a lion. You see, what happens when we read the scriptures and we believe the scriptures is that our faith grows to match the excellency, the greatness of our God. As we behold the lion of the tribe of Judah who came to give his life as a ransom for many. And my question to you is, are you among the many? Did Jesus die for your sins? Are you overwhelmed? Listen to me. Look at me. Are you overwhelmed by what has happened in the fact that God sent his son not only to earth, but then he sent him to you so that when you hear about him, yes, you're ready to bow down before him. It's not just a dead word on a dead page to you. It's the living God 
who's come summoning you as your king and you say, yes, my Lord, and you bow before him. Are you amazed at that? Are you overwhelmed that you believe in Jesus? Or does that come out of your tongue like, oh, yes, I believe in Jesus as easily as you say, oh, I love pancakes for breakfast. Come on. Who are we following? In the Gospels, there's a Roman centurion whose servant is deathly ill. And so he comes running to Jesus, begging him to heal him. And Jesus, of course, as he's always so willing to comply, to help, he starts getting ready to go. But the Roman centurion stops him and says, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. And then he says, but just say the word. Just, just right where you are, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And when Jesus heard that, he was amazed. He was amazed. He was amazed and he was marveling, it says. And he looks at the crowd and he says, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Church, I want our church family to have a faith that amazes Jesus. Oh, it's rare. It's so rare in the gospels. There's only a handful of events when Jesus comes upon an individual and what comes out of their mouths, he's like, what? What did you just say? Think about this. God is amazed at someone's faith. Can we be that? It's rare, but let's go for it, church. Let's go for it. Let's be bold as a lion. If you've been holding on to money so tightly because, man, so much of your security is really in the dollar, give it away. Give, give, give. Why do you want to die with all that money in the bank? For what? If your time you protect your time so intensely because, man, you just don't want to run out of energy. You don't want to run out of time to do all these other things. You know what? Serve, serve, serve. Stop protecting yourself. What kind of faith do you have? Who do you believe in? Your reputation. Your reputation is so important to you. Your degrees, the, the, the honor that others give you. And so it's kept you from declaring the name of Jesus. Stop that and speak, speak, speak in his name. Who cares about your name? There's one name. One name that matters above them all. And so let your life, you're going to die one day. We're all going to die. Patty went to heaven last night. A great servant of the Lord. You and I will go. My mother's time came. Your time will come. What's Jesus going to say to us? You know, this has been a hard, hard year. You know what some people are doing? Because we're saying, man, COVID's been tough and the social unrest has been tough and the election, oh boy, you know what I'm going to do? I, I'm barely making it, so I'm going to make up the difference by sinning. I'm going to give myself over to sinning so that it can help me just cope. What are you doing? What are you doing? Why would you commit spiritual suicide? 
Oh, I want us to have a faith that amazes our Lord. Not an idolatrous faith where we are happy to add Jesus to the shelf with all the other gods that we bow down to. Not a merely intellectual faith where we like a lot of the Bible's wisdom but believe none of its power. Not a domesticated faith where we're embarrassed about the God of the Old Testament. No, a vibrant, great faith in a great God. I want us to know every second of every day that the very molecules of our body are held together by the word of Jesus Christ. That we don't take a step without Christ holding us together or that step doesn't happen. I want us to follow the lamb wherever he goes. If he takes us far from comfort, so be it. If he takes us far from home, so be it. If he takes every idol from our hearts away one at a time, please, Lord, do it. Others can have the world. We want you. Great faith honors a great God. Think about that as you ponder the Lord's body and blood given for us, which we will take the elements in just a moment. Let's pray. Oh God, oh Father, thank you for your word. Your word is a light, a light to our path, lamp to our feet. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us the privilege of being assembled here to worship you. As you've revealed yourself from Genesis 1, 1 to Revelation 22, the very last verse, which I don't remember what it is. All of it, you've revealed yourself in every page, in every word, and we believe in you, God. So I pray for any of us who have ended up in that dreamy, muddled middle where Jesus is neither friend nor foe. Oh God, forgive us and grant us repentance so that we will say, no, Jesus, you are my all and I will love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength by your grace only. Father, I pray that we would all be amazed that not only did you send us the Christ, but you sent him into our hearts so that we bow before him so that we recognize him, so that we love him, even if our entire culture hates him. And I pray, dear God, that in this church family, we would stand, or rather kneel, amazed by our Savior, and that he would in turn be amazed by our faith. Like that Roman centurion, Oh, what an encouragement to him it must have been to find true faith in a Gentile. We love you. I pray, God, that as we take the bread and the, drink the cup, that we would be undone. That we would be undone, God. That we repent of our sins. And we would come to Jesus and trust him for our cleansing and for our forgiveness for the renewal of our lives that we may come awake wake up rise from the dead oh sleeper and Christ will shine on you 
In your precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Ponder the body and the blood of the Lord as we sing this song. We'll take the elements together in a moment. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.